Episode of the Cine Survey podcast. I'm Melissa Ramos. And I am Martin Ibarra. And we're continuing on with our 2019 fall series, Women of Horror, focusing on horror films directed by women. For this episode, we'll be welcoming a new guest to the show, discussing The Babadook, written and directed by Jennifer Kent. Welcome back and enjoy the conversation. by introducing our newest guest to the podcast, a fellow horror film fan and former college classmate, Alyssa Kelly. Hi, Alyssa. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to the show. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, Alyssa's a fellow uh, horror aficionado. Yes. One of the the few at school we could talk about with horror who wouldn't give us concerned looks. Yeah, right. (laughs) It was an absolute must. You had to come on and talk about some horror. Yeah. Some horror shit with us. Well, thank you for having me. By the way, guys, if you're going to hear a fan in the background, I'm sure you already hear it. I'm just going to point it out right at the front here. It is hot as hell in this room right now. So just deal with it. It's it's for our sanity. (laughs) Yeah. For safety. Just to get that out of the way. (laughs) So um, do you remember how you first saw the babadook i remember watching it really late at night when my mom and i were home alone and we had this really great surround sound system Ooh, and we were losing it dude (laughs) the sound in this that's something we'll definitely get into i can imagine though if you're in the right setting this could be really atmospheric and really creepy yeah with your mom too that's fun oh that's interesting more freaked out than i was and that was making (laughs) it scary that's a good point because (laughs) this is all about we'll get into this is all about motherhood so it's an interesting Mm -hmm, experience to watch it with your mom alone yeah Mm -hmm. Because I, I don't watch horror films with my mom. I'm always not into scary movies. No, that's a definite no for me. Yeah, <laughs> your mom. Yeah. <laughs> she does not like them. Yeah, they're all of the devil, pretty yeah, much. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Interesting. Um, I can't remember. Did we watch this in the theater, Marty? I can't remember. I don't think so, no. I think we rented it one night after the buzz kind of came out around it. Um, yeah. And we, we rented it, and we loved it, and spent some time apart from it until recently. I think we had only seen it once when it came out, but that yeah. was like, yeah an interesting film because it's not really like a jump out scary right it's mostly psychological Mm -hmm. i'd say Mm -hmm. um but so Alyssa, to watch it in preparation for the show how did you what like what format did you watch it here do you know um i watched it i rented it through amazon prime okay because it used to be on netflix for a while then they took it away so i had to rent it um so i just rewatched it again on my tv Okay. It, without the surround sound, so it was definitely different. Yeah. Uh, okay. Sure. Different experience. Yeah. But it still freaked me out just as much. Uh-huh. Definitely. Yeah. But by yourself, like in your like at night or something. Well, it was like three o'clock in the afternoon. Oh yeah, still, <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> <laughs> still creepy, especially by yourself. Yes. Um, we Melissa and I watched it together. Yeah. Um, we actually went on like a little bit of a, a mission. Hunt? Yeah, to try and find a copy to see if we could find one. Mm-hmm. Um, we went to we went to a Best Buy. It's a funny story, and we were like, 
I think we had we knew that they had a copy or that they should have a copy, but we we, we figured they would, and we couldn't find it. Yeah, um, we were looking around, and it's, it was that moment where we were like giving up. Or Marty was ready to give up, and we're like walking down one like last aisle, and then Melissa spots it, and we're like, oh hey, and it's yeah. like in the corner by yeah. itself, this one copy. Law of attraction yeah. meant to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so determination. It's quite a fortuitous day because then we just. From there, we went yeah. home and watched it. And yeah. That was great. And yeah. I'm happy we have it. And so mm-hmm. um, it was DVD, which still looked great. It's fine with me. Mm-hmm. So cool. Um, yeah. Do you want to take us into any of the uh, film facts, box office? Sure. So as we already stated, uh, The Babadook uh, was directed by Jennifer Kent in 2014. Um, real quick, some other films that she's directed uh, more recently is The Nightingale which I still haven't seen. I really want to catch. Um, there was also some kind of, I don't know much about it. I haven't looked into it, but some kind of like Christmas related story to the Babadook. It must be something related to the uh, animation style of it that they did something for it, but it's like, it's called How the Duck Stole Christmas. Oh my goodness. So I think it's some, yeah, it's some kind of like Grinch Babadook oh thing. No. Um, I kind of want to look into it because a lot of people that worked on the film worked on that. So I imagine it's something similar to the book yeah. animation. But um, So... Jennifer Kent studied uh, performing arts at the National Institute of Dramatic Arts in Sydney um, with others like Kate Blanchett, uh, Tony Collette, um, Judy Davis, and Essie Davis, who's, um, who was, I think, one of them was, actually, I'm not sure which one was older. I think it might have been Essie Davis, but Essie Davis is in this film. She's the mother. Um, so they were at the same acting school. Um, And uh, S.E. Davis describes Jennifer Kent, the director, um, as an eerily phenomenal actor, the one in school that uh, was the best in the entire school, and she aspired to be as good as her. Um, So it's interesting that Jennifer Kent was actually an actor before she really was the Yeah, before she switched. Yeah, and she was apparently great. So I'm just curious. I've seen something from her, but it kind of makes sense that they connected on a certain level to be able to bring out that performance. Yeah. Um, Some heavy hitters in that school. I know. Yeah, if you think about it, I mean, yeah. especially Tony Collette recently. Yeah, I want to see them both do something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That'd be cool. Um, so, Jennifer Kent's first short film, um, after discovering she wanted to be a filmmaker, and uh, she worked on a film with Lars von Trier called Dogville. Um, it was called her short film was called Monster, and that was in two thousand five, and that was the inspiration for um, for this film. Um, so the story for that film was it came from a friend who was having trouble with her uh, connecting with her son so it's this mother son story and um he's like seeing something he was calling the monster man and the only way she could deal with it was to see it as real and talk to it and so she had the idea what if what if this was real and so that's what she put into the the film and so melissa and i watched this short film together have you heard about it at all Melissa? i haven't heard of it so. Okay, highly recommend it's it's um it's in like it's in black and white I think and yeah, it's yeah like some kind of sepia almost yeah and if you you'll when you watch it you'll get a lot of the uh, similar imagery mm-hmm. and um kind of beats of, of the mother like at the at the kitchen sink just like staring out into nothingness and just like this like kind of um, almost a smile on her face but I can't really describe yeah. it but like just out of it kind of mm-hmm. scenes like that and the kid running around with the cave and like fighting off a monster or something similar things but it's in its own way pretty creepy and I think it even uses similar animation style too yeah even the monster looks similar to the Babadook yeah with the claws mm-hmm, the claws yeah. and some kind of creepy face yeah 
Um, Looks so. like some industrial like costume. Mm-hmm. Um, so to anyways, if you guys haven't seen that and you love the Babadook, I highly recommend checking it out. I think we watched it on Vimeo, so mm-hmm. it's out there for you guys to see. Um, to get into a little bit more of the background of the film, the it was budgeted at two million, and of that budget, uh, thirty thousand was raised via Kickstarter, and most of the funds of those funds raised um, were channeled through the art department, and I think that certainly comes through. I think that's one of the most memorable things memorable things about the film, that the book, the the animation of the Babadook whenever he's around, all that stuff. Yeah, it's pretty fantastic. Um, so opening weekend, the film did uh, $30,000 in three theaters. Third weekend, it made 134000 in 80. And Lifetime, as of now, is at $10 million. So it's made, okay. it made pretty pretty decent money, I think. Um, obviously, it got its acclaim from um, the festival circuit. So it won at Fantastic Fest in 2014. Um, the best picture for horror features, best screenplay, best actress, best actor cleaned up. Wow. Um, some other quick awards, some fun awards is um, the Fangoria Chainsaw Awards. It won, uh, I think it pretty much swept two there. It won, definitely won uh, best limited release film. And so <laughs> that's a pretty big like horror connection, little fun little award thing that people who subscribe to Fangoria can do. I think, you know, I don't even know if you have to subscribe to Fangoria. You can, hmm. you can vote on those. Um, Australian Directors Guild awarded Best Direction. Australian Academy of Cinema and Television Arts Awards gave it Best Direct, uh, Best Director, Best Film, Best Screenplay. Uh-huh. So, of course, uh, the Australian um, yeah. critic circles all really highly uh, considered very highly. So, um, that's just a little bit of background on the awards and on the budget and all that. We always do that for every uh, episode, but now. I think we can transition into talking about the film. So we'll go through each department and uh, give our highlights, talk about the story a little bit, and yeah, uh, yeah let's have some fun. Okay. <laughs> All right. So uh, Jennifer Kent um, writes and directs, and um, it's adapted from her short film. Uh, so she takes part in the, I, I'm going to butcher this, I don't know how to pronounce it, the Binger Film Lab in Amsterdam in order to develop it into a feature film script. She's watching silent films and horror films from Carpenter, Mario Bava, and uh, Dario Argento. Um, she wrote five drafts of the script before filming began. Um, quick little fun fact. In Hebrew, the Babadook means he is coming for sure. Oh, I didn't even know that was an actual Hebrew term. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was taken by that. I'm like, interesting, because it's an interesting title. Mm-hmm. And I, I, without, I guess I didn't really think about where did that come from. Because yeah. this isn't something I searched like, oh, what... What does the Babadook mean? Yeah. Or where did that come? I didn't even look it up. It just came up, and I'm like, huh. Well, I heard but it like if you rearrange the lettering, it's like bad book. Oh. So that's <laughs> that's what I always thought it was. I didn't even know it was a Hebrew term. That's yeah. fascinating. I didn't even put that together. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that's an interesting thing. He is coming for sure. Um, that that kind of seems like a theme once the book starts being open and read. You know, it's oh, like, yeah. oh, he's gonna come for you. You wish you. You'll wish you didn't open this book or something like that. I forget what the actual phrases are in the book, but Probably essentially it's that. It down. Yeah, maybe, but it's <laughs> essentially saying that he's coming. So mm-hmm. um, it's already too late. The the things are in motion. Yeah. Um, but um, I think, according to Jennifer Kent, it also is something that a child could have made up. Okay. So if you think about it, yeah, like a word, just some random like gibberish oh, kind of thing. Like it's easy. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. 
Um, so, I mean, we can talk about anything we want with re relating to the story. Um, I mean, I think thematically, um, it's a lot about uh, I, some some more things I put down are obviously motherhood, um, repressed trauma, and sleep deprivation are the ones that jump out to me. Yeah, I mean, um, I can read like a quote she said yeah. about her own film was. Uh, it's about the need to face the darkness in ourselves and in our lives. And that was the core idea for her to take a woman who'd really run away from a terrible situation for many years and has to face it. Yeah. So. So I think that leads perfectly into the first scene. You guys remember what the first scene of the movie is? Yes. The car crash. Yes. Yeah. Is it a dream? Is it a dream? I mean, it happened. But so she's dreaming about that uh, event, I guess. Yeah. Is that how to interpret it? Because you, you see the car crash happening. And then there, it's like you, you stay with her on like a close up and then she like kind of lands into her bed. Right? Yeah. So my, my interpretation is that that's it. she's dreaming about the event. Mm hmm. 100%. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So we're on. All right. <laughs> yeah. Just wanted, I'm, I'm curious <laughs> if it was like supposed to lead from like, you know. So we're just, we're watching the scene happen and then it's, oh, she's dreaming about it. Okay, cool. Yeah. I mean, a heavy scene to start the film with, I think. Mm hmm. Um, but it certainly sets the tone of the film right out of the gate yeah to again uh, she's not sleep i mean maybe she was dreaming but that will that nightmare woke her up so it's setting off the fact that immediately this woman's not getting sleep yeah and, right and i mean i think we all know uh, what life is like when you can't sleep oh definitely it's, yeah. it's pretty difficult yeah to say the least it fucks with your mind for mm -hmm. sure um so do any scenes um story-wise them or thematically at all stand out to you guys <laughs> um <laughs> I mean I could talk about a little bit about how the um the film is set up. Actually first I'll, I'll let me sorry, I'll backtrack, I'll start with this. So I have a quote from Jennifer Kent on women and on horror films. Um she says, Women do love watching scary films. It's been proven and they've done all the tests. The demographics are half men, half women. And we know fear. It's not like we can't explore the subject. Hmm. Um, which I love because this film is it's it's directed by a woman it's it's led by a woman and it's about a mother yeah so these are subjects that I think are I mean certainly all women can relate to these subjects I think um, especially grief a lot yeah. of it's about grief and like managing that and she never faced that throughout the entire film mm -hmm. she kept yeah. saying oh I've moved on and moved on but she never really moved on because mm -hmm. the she didn't translate like she can't love her son throughout the whole entire movie basically right. she's mm -hmm. very cold distant mm -hmm. even though it's been like i don't know how many year, years uh has gone by since her husband died but she just represses that and it shows in the film mm -hmm. so yeah like a feeling of resentment towards her son for kind of she i think she feels like he replaced the love of her life almost mm -hmm. like he's gone but i have this kid i have you but right. i'm alone still yeah, let's not leave out the fact that the accident happens that we see at the beginning of the film. It's her husband dies, but it's on the way to give birth to her son. So right. it's like the anniversary, both the death of the husband, imagine, birth of yeah. the son. So you yeah, it's oh that triggering mm -hmm. of yeah. memories. Yeah, jeez. Yeah, imagine that the the, the the two dates intertwined in that way. That's just crazy. Yeah, I mean the whole uh, film just gives you that idea of like lone loneliness that she feels um 
and uh, yeah like we talked about like grief the sense of loss mm -hmm. that you feel yeah. the entire time and also the, uh you just feel suffocated with every scene that kid is in yeah like you just feel the suffocation you, you understand feel, like yeah what she's going through yeah yeah i would also um, like say like disconnection mm -hmm. like you see her at work and like she's trying to put on a smile and everything and she's just so disconnected from the world her son her sister yeah that's what grief does to you in depression it's just there's no connection with anything in life no matter how hard you try and mm -hmm. make it happen you're like, just detached from it all yeah yeah yeah. Uh, yeah and i think uh, i remember essie davis who plays the the mother in the film um she talks about something that kind of scared her in the role uh was that she had sensed a familiar feeling because i think she is a mother hmm. and so there's this familiar feeling of I, I think in relation to to this to their child to her child and to the character's child of, of you know that sense of like i just want to breathe for a second like can yeah you, you know um which i think that is a terrifying thought obviously the the, the mother in the film goes to more extreme extents of how to um how to go about dealing with it but i think it's a scary thing to explore for a mother yeah, and how are you supposed to deal with your grief and depression when you have to take care of this child mm -hmm. right you have to raise this kid and deal with all the the stresses of motherhood being a single mother especially mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. you really don't have time to deal with your own emotions especially when this kid has his own i don't know what to say like he he has he's definitely a I wouldn't want to say problem child, but he, he has some behavioral issues. Yes. So to tie all that together, yeah, I don't know how she's supposed to. Yeah. It just feels like a like a perfect storm. Yeah. Um so let's I guess let's talk about the let's spend some time talking about the book because we got we talk a little bit about the fact that um the father dies and it's traumatic for both the mother and son, uh, in their own in their own terms, right? The the mother the mother's feeling grief, losing her husband um but he the, the kid loses his son i mean his father and feels like he needs to protect his mother like that's something that mm -hmm. i think comes up throughout the film he, he, yeah he's convinced there are monsters after hey. him and he's trying to protect her so we we spent a little time on that but the book turns up just in his room right and and the mother um is taken by it right she like she looks at it she doesn't recognize it yeah she's like where did you get that he said it was on the shelf mm -hmm. and um <laughs> so real quickly how would you guys react to something like that like this if my kid just brought a book to me like, i didn't recognize yeah a little confused yeah isn't especially with the material like seeing that yeah i don't know i mean like when i if i saw that book i'd be like nope take it out yeah, like, like <laughs> we're not yeah, even gonna like, try we're not even gonna bother looking into this <laughs> it's <a little laughs> creepy yeah i think this is one of those moments where you're like why are you no why are you opening this book yeah why are you still reading it I feel like, <laughs> isn't, isn't the silhouette or like the shape of the babadook on the front cover yes okay i wouldn't open that book it's not really? even legit there's no author name yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i need to know the publishing company i need to know yeah <laughs> who sent us this there's no dedication <laughs> in the front page <laughs> um yeah so it, it's it's definitely a creepy thing um so it's the, the the book is about a dark monster who wants to be let inside your home or your room mm -hmm. he knocks at your door three times um and there's the, the quote in the book is if it's in a word or it's in a look you can't get rid of the babadook yeah and real quick i want to say the, the the fact that he knocks on your door three times Again, oh I, yeah, I, tell I'm us getting, tell us all about that, Marnie. Well, 
and I, we, I talked about this a little bit in the last episode, but yeah. I had read a few books on, uh, you know, Ed and, uh, Ed and Lorraine Warren, the famous um, demonologists. And, uh, you know, one quick little fact that I read from there that applies here is the, the supernatural and the three knocks often um, reflects the, a mockery of the whole trinity. So mm. it's like, there's an interesting little connection there that does yeah, the kind of tell that it's three. That yeah. is three, and it's this, essentially this demon is how I read it. Um, okay, so the book, uh, yeah, it appropriately freaks. Um, the kid's name is Samuel, right? Samuel. Yeah. He freaks him out, and he's. I, it's so interesting. Like, like, there's a lot of hard cuts uh, on sound on this kid just oh, screaming. Man, yeah. Yeah, it was yeah. very annoying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, he did his job correctly. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. He. D- this kid kills it. Yeah. Uh, at those moments and it's, and they certainly use it to um it's interesting how they i mean we'll get into sound but it's interesting how they use that um device to construct the film right to tell the narrative to advance mm-hmm. scenes in a way that makes you annoyed at this kid yeah because mm-hmm. you have to feel that sense of anxiety and that frustration with him so yeah. I, I love that but i guess that ties to sound yeah but in that scene in particular because he's like saying What's going on? What's next? What's next? What's next? And mm-hmm. then cut two. He's just fucking crying his heart mm-hmm. out. Yeah, he wants to know, but then he's terrified. <laughs> yeah. Full blown breakdown. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. God. Um. Okay. So wait, I I had a question that I wanted to ask you guys. Um. So so he freaks out. Um. She tries to get rid of it, but she can't. She trashes it. It ends up on the doorstep. With new illustrations that depict the a mother a mother as the monster, right? Yeah. This is a similar question to what I asked you guys before, and how would you handle a situation? But okay, so say, I like to tie this into our, our reviews. Say you're the mother, you try to trash this book, and it ends up on your doorstep. What are your next steps? Dude, I don't, I don't know. Call the Catholic Church. Yeah, yeah. I was okay, gonna say so call, a pri- <laughs> call a priest. I'm so happy you said that because that's the right answer. Yeah, <laughs> I would say you need to call a priest. I yeah, think. Um, yeah, that's the only way you can. I think that's the only way you can go. Okay, cool. I'm glad that you said that. Okay. <laughs> I think that's the right answer because, I mean, like, what? Because like, what can the authorities really do at this point? There's no evidence of anyone leading the book. Yeah. Right. I mean. um could look at your neighbors but that was a sweet old lady next yeah, door like, like yeah. she's not gonna do that no, to you nothing's gonna come of that there's not much they can do so <laughs> yeah you gotta call a priest you gotta have that house blessed you gotta have the, <laughs> they gotta take that book that's that's what has to happen um interesting things about the about the book i think the the design of it is um oh, ins- awesome. inspired by german expressionism particularly the, the cabinet of dr uh, caligari um, there's also, I think, inspiration to The Shining and the, the spiritual forces. And I think the mother's name is Amelia. I've been mm. saying the mother. Her name's Amelia. Um, she's, to me, a little bit of both Jack and Wendy Torrance. Because hmm. yeah. I think you get the descent, but then there's also this, like, caring mother. And so it's this kind of battle in between, I think, to this dichotomy of both characters. Um, inspiration from Mario Bava um, is referenced in... And, um, I think you get a sense of in the German expressionism and I think even in Baba there's like characters that look a lot like the Babadook so if you go back into some of those films you'll see the inspiration into his overall look and his like his get up and his face and his claw like hands I think all that stuff is inspired from those um, from those films 
Um, okay, let me see. Any other scenes that you guys that stand out to you guys as favorites or like particularly terrifying or well made? Um, the one that creeped me out, I think, is when um, Samuel's kind of going at it. I think he's like kicking her seat in the car, and, and all of a sudden he stops, mm -hmm. looks next to him, and he like freaks out and he's yelling, Get out, get out, get out, because the Babadook, right, mm -hmm. entered the vehicle. I think that scene always kind of creeped me out because I think he does a really well job, good job mm -hmm. at playing the part. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's the one he like he turns it to his yeah, side. Doesn't it like something lands on the car too? You hear the scratching. Hear? Yeah, yeah, yeah. On the top of the car. Yeah, yeah. I love that scene. And he's like, yeah, he's just like staring off into nothing, and mm -hmm. mm. he's like having yeah. a seizure Food. almost like, at yes. that point. Yes. Yeah, he yeah. does. Yeah. Crazy scene, and and yeah. something I heard uh, as background is that um, the uh, the se davis and jennifer kent rode around in the car with him practicing over and over his like meltdown in the car yeah and just having him scream louder and louder mm -hmm. and louder and oh my god it's kind of crazy the, what this kid goes through <laughs> like think about it but at the same time, maybe <laughs> it was fun for him you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah that scene is particularly uh scary yeah the creepiest scene for me every time i watch it yeah is when she's in the corner of her room and she's approaching samuel and she's floating Oh my gosh! Oh man! Yes. <laughs> and like he pees his pants. I'm like, I'm probably doing that right now. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. It's just not even. It's just the way her face is like all expressed, and she's floating. It's the sound also, mm -hmm. just like the rattlesnake and the hissing. It's just like, oh ugh, yeah, you know, yeah. I that's probably the creepiest thing for me. Every time yeah. I watch it, just yeah. so unsettling. It's the angle they get it at too. Like you're, she's looking above you, and you're looking up, and you're feel vulnerable. Yeah. yeah. So. They do a good job at those camera angles throughout mm -hmm. the whole film. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think, too, what ties into that is, like, whenever she's... The sequences, whenever she's dreaming, and you see, like, the 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 shadow or what have you of the Babadook kind of, like, moving across the ceilings and stuff, that kind of animation of mm -hmm. seeing him move around, it kind of feels, like, insect-like, almost. Like, yeah. the kind of move. And I think even the sound of him... Mm -hmm. too which we're it's getting like crawling sound. yeah sounds but there's some kind of like high frequency like yeah sound that to me makes it seem like a cockroach or something um super gross <laughs> but um okay i, I did want to say a little bit more about the book that actually i found uh, I, found, I learned about um it's kind of fascinating kent uh, jennifer kent explained that though it's never made explicit in the film the intention is to communicate that amelia wrote the book hmm. yes i can totally see that Interesting. I did not interpret it that way. I didn't catch that the first at all. I feel like everything about that book is her repressed emotions about how oh, she feels definitely. about her son. Certainly. Mm -hmm. um, and that's why when they say you can't ever get rid of the Babadook, you can't ever get, get rid of those feelings or those thoughts in your mind. Mm -hmm. And that's why when it leads towards the end of the film, you control it or you right. take care of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You learn and to you, live with it. You learn to live with it, heal from it, and move on. Yeah. Um that's how i saw it too it's just that's interesting so you watched yeah. it with that in mind like oh this is like she this is this is probably what she did like she probably made this and just doesn't realize it yeah interesting well after the movie ended i'm like it makes sense yeah yeah but and and it's, it's said in the book i don't think it's something that we focus on but for some i don't know why we wouldn't because in hindsight it seems like we should but in the in the film you learn that she used to write children's books yeah and so it's it seems like yeah it should have been obvious but at least for us we didn't put it together yeah um but that's a fascinating thing to think about that's how deep her 
her grief is mm -hmm. and i think also her sense of um I, like you say detachment like she's so detached from from reality mm -hmm. that um she made this and doesn't even realize it mm -hmm. she doesn't recognize it yeah it's crazy i mean i even with the way everything's shot everything kind of has this like bleak like colorless undertones yep. you know oh yeah I mean? everything's saturated except yeah. for the book the book yep. stands out red yep. we all know what red means mm -hmm. like yeah. alert stands mm -hmm. out and i feel like also that bleakness is just like depression disconnect and i feel like that's her world that's how she sees it is like not vibrant mm -hmm. not colorful not happy yeah um yeah so i feel like everything in that film connects that way yeah everything's from her point of view and how she views the world yeah yeah but so if it's the case that she made the book then that means she also made the second book right depicting herself killing her son yeah that's crazy to me yeah i mean it's tricky because it seems that it's also inferred that there's some kind of demonic presence mm -hmm. right yeah and so it's uh, i'm trying to i guess navigate that whole it's understanding her own demons i think okay so it's not like emotionally okay what she's battling with mm -hmm. inner demons exactly yeah inner, inner demons, demons not demons in the sense of like the exorcist yeah but, but right like correct inner yeah. demons that she helped manifest and she learned had to learn how to control that mm. that's how i feel from it fascinating yeah yeah, that makes sense. Okay, you guys are clearing this up for me. Yeah, there is that crossover though with like the physicality of the. Well, it's hard because you you see the demon, and so like you get the sense that something was conjured. But I I like the fact that it could come from her own inner demons. And again, I think we're starting the film at a point when she's already in it, mm -hmm. right? Like, and again, that ties to me to Jack Torrance from like from The Shining from Kubrick's film. It's like at the beginning of the film, they're already at a at a certain. They're not at point A to me. They're like at you know point like whatever e or f like mm -hmm. it's already in in process it's already in movement it's just not at the full decline yet yeah but we're right. gonna see that descent yeah um interesting okay cool i wanted to clear that up i'm glad you guys cleared <laughs> it up for me anytime so unless there's any other scenes that you guys want to talk about in particular in terms of story or theme we can move on I think I'm good. I'm ready to move on. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we can cover all these areas. We want to do that. I think so it'll come out. Yeah. Let's move on to cinematography. Um, cinematographer in the film is Radek Ladschuk. I'm sorry if I'm butchering that. <laughs> um, he also shot The Nightingale and How the Duck Stole Christmas with Jennifer Kent. So um, this team up here it's is. always going to make me laugh. <laughs> How the Duck. I like the Duck. That's, I like that. Um, so he says the film is split into five different sections, which is kind of interesting to me. He says each exploring a particular emotion. So it starts with anxiety, then moves to fear, then terror, possession, and finally courage. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think it, just an interesting um, sort of charge to everyone out there would be to see if you can pinpoint those sections. Um, I think I'm fascinated to rewatch it with that in mind. Yeah, I can see it visually, I think, in my head. I definitely need to rewatch it, but yeah. I can see that breakup of of emotions throughout the film. Yeah, because it's not like you see, like, the Tarantino-esque kind of title cards of, like, chapter one. Yeah. Anxiety. Yeah, it's, right. But it's, it's certainly, I think, um, in, in Amelia's face, I think. Mm -hmm. is really Camera angles, too, yeah. give you that. 
Um, the film was shot on an Arri Alexa with Zeiss Master Prime lenses. Um, so, you know, for all you camera people out there, you know what that means to us. It doesn't mean too much, but yeah. yeah. Um, I, nice. I always like to point that out. Um, okay, so any any uh, scenes in particular that stand out to you as visually captivating? I think the beginning sequence. Yes. The whole nightmare yeah. sequence. Yes. Very dreamlike. Very very dreamlike and i that's how it brings you in at first mm-hmm. it's just the way it's done like so slow motion like she's present with it but everything around her is so mm-hmm. slow and changing because it's like it's from accident to like um orientation of the shot you right like you, she's like from, from close up on her to then it like moves like sideways to her like the car is like you know uh, on its side to then turning back and over her as she's landing into the bed. Yeah, it's a crazy sequence. Mm-hmm. And that's not the first time she like floats into bed too. Right. I think the second yeah. time happened when she took, uh, when she gave Samuel the medication and then she took something oh, too. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. And then she's the first like, sleep she gets. She's doing this <laughs> yeah. and she's like <laughs> resting. <laughs> oh my god, it's like she's falling in heaven. Yeah, in the clouds. Yeah. 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 Uh, even the moment I, th- I like the moments too when they um, show the passing of time. Mm-hmm. When she's kind of sleeping, mm-hmm. and everything just kind of speeds up. Yeah, um, it has gives it still an eerie feeling mm-hmm. when they do that. Um, I I mean I, I already mentioned the scenes of the Babadook on the ceiling and stuff, but I I yeah, like obviously m- yeah those particularly those. I love the angles at which those are shot because there there is so always this kind of obscure angle to I what at least for it did for me was to just make things feel a little bit off which i think establishes the mental state right the the uh, if it's if it's a nightmare or if it's a dream um or she's outside of herself i think it just sets that kind of mood um and perspective for us as audience and i guess time would be sped to show in most cases what i can remember the shadow and at the rate of speed that it moves Mm -hmm. it is stop motion i think it is yeah um but yeah the the way the shadow appears on walls and on ceilings and stuff all that's just crazy yeah so i love those scenes Mm -hmm. really terrifying for me Mm -hmm. um any other shots i'm like replaying it in my head i'm like what did i what stood out (laughs) simple but I, I like even just the push-in um, I think when she's reading a book is after they found the Babadook mm-hmm. and she's reading some other book uh, in her bedroom and it just you hear something but it pushes in stops the sound stops and it continues on like even just those little moments that uh, add some some horror elements some eeriness to it yeah um, the angles of like close-ups too yeah there's a lot of there just seems to be a lot of uh, close-up shots. Of yeah. Especially but they're Amelia, like kind of above or below the eye line. Mm-hmm. So it's never straight on to me. Mm. It's a little off kilter every time. Right. So there's this sense of a lot of things feeling just a little imperfect. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think one of the other things that always stood out to me in the movie is remember she's watching the TV really late at night mm-hmm. and then she changes channels and the Babadook pops up somehow mm-hmm. in each of these uh, sequences and like on the channels and everything. I right. thought that was always super cool. Yeah. The way that yeah. they intertwine that. Yeah, yeah. And she's tripping out and then there's uh, one point when there's a news story about how a mother 
stabbed to death her son then she got shot by officers yeah so that's kind of like a little bit in foreshadowing in a way because then when she looks deeper into like that shot she's in that window like staring back really creepily right yeah yeah uh, oh man, you remind me. You reminded me of a bunch more. That just gave, <laughs> me, that just gave me chills. Yeah, dude. Mm. Uh. I give me the willies. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I love when that there can be that kind of um, placement of of things. I feel like we get that kind of like that reminds me of like it in the recent um, adaptations where you know like there's a character walking through the hallway and on the tv the, the the clowns on the tv or something or there's you know there's that oh, like they're little always show. playing that show yeah the clown, i yeah. like when they can embed the monster if you will um into little moments like that where it's just it's background if you catch it you catch it i mean i think in this one it's pretty front and center but mm-hmm. it's it's still kind of like discreetly put in there mm-hmm. um t- it comes and it goes kind of thing you mm-hmm. have to be paying attention to really catch it yeah, yeah. um in, in its completion so yeah I, I, I love those little devices and it's just the way they do it with the sound too in that sequence mm-hmm. yeah a lot of it plays off there's, sound, a, there's, yeah. there's a lot too though i think in 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 building his shape I, I can think of at least a couple scenes where you know there's those moments of like what's that in the corner over there turn the lights on oh it's just a Oh, yeah. Or at the police department. Or at the police department, right? Yeah, she spazzes out, and she's yeah. just like, oh, I'm going to leave. Yeah. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> mm-hmm. Her mind's playing tricks on her. Mm-hmm. So. And, uh, and those those moments where you see what she sees at first, mm-hmm. or what they see, yeah. um, I think are shot and lit really well, because they're supposed to yeah, trick you, you out. Too, they're supposed yeah. to trick you, too. And mm-hmm. I think those are done really, really nicely. Yeah. It's also just like a phobia of mine, like as a kid that I always had, like seeing things in the seeing corner. the shape in the corner. I mean, that's probably something everyone. Everybody. It's probably not that. All the clothes on the chair. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what is this shadow yeah. over there? Yeah. This, oh, it's just all the laundry I didn't put away. <laughs> but, um, okay. Uh, any last shots we can think of? We can move on. Okay. Well, then let's move on to sound. Um, sound designer on the film is frank lipson um he did winchester he did escape room um that recent uh escape room horror film which i actually kind of liked um it was fun the adventures of tintin uh wow he also did and this one's really fascinating to me um the stop motion film mary and max uh which i love that one feels a lot like this film in certain ways to me yeah, so and, and it's fascinating. Um, and he also did that Romeo and Juliet film with Leonardo DiCaprio. Hmm. Um, so the sound is in Dolby Digital, 5-1 sound. Um, so guys, anything regarding sound design stand out to you guys? I mean, I think I noted one for sure, which it, there's certain sounds of those moments. Again, I, I think that's the thing that stands out to me the most about the films is those nightmares in which you see him his shadow moving across the, the walls or whatever mm-hmm. and there is this high frequency sound that it, it sounds like an ins- what, what an insect sounds to me yeah like crickets to like me crickets mm-hmm. um yeah boosted up and and layered yeah um and and the movements in stop motion feel like just add to that insect like feeling yeah um also i think the sound of the babadook when he actually says like his name like oh right Baba, yeah, you know, yeah, all yeah. That. <laughs> that was pretty good actually I'm yeah. for that. <laughs> um, 
love scared that. yourself. Yeah, I kind of <laughs> freaked myself out for a second, guys. Sorry if I freaked you out. Um, <laughs> but love that too. Love yeah. his voice. Um, anything to you guys? When they're first reading the book, yes. Um, you hear that cricket like sound, mm, a high frequency. Yeah. And so she closes it. I think because they get freaked out mm-hmm. when they're first uh, reading it. Okay. And the sound stops. Oh. And then she opens it back up because I think he wants her to continue. Right. And they start playing the sound again. So it's, obvi- it's obviously like a connection right. to the monster mm-hmm. to tell you like it's there. The presence is there. Um, That's great stuff. Yeah. That's fascinating. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. Um, I think also like when she's also reading the book, like you can hear like children. Hmm. Oh, like, really? Like d- d- you couldn't hear that. Like for me, when they're she's opening the book and it's like children making these noises. No, I can't have to. You ha- you had that like real nice sound though, and you, <laughs> yeah. you know when you saw it with your mom. Oh, it's so creepy. You oh, have no idea. Man. Like that's what always freaked me out. Like about the movie too. It's just the book, and it's just you hear like the music too, and oh, just yeah. like the you can hear that the. Yeah. And then, um, it, but I swear you can hear like children, si- like making these sounds with like this uh, like lullaby thing that goes along with it. Oh, it's super eerie and creepy. That's fascinating. Definitely revisit yeah, that. Yeah, I need to. You have a sound system downstairs we can use, Martin. We totally do. It's not. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no way we didn't watch it that way. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we need to be doing more like that. Yeah. Um, something I wanted to point out. There's a, there's an interesting connection to video games in this film, in terms of sound. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's more than these uh, two examples, but I pulled these because um, I remember to. Um, so there's a well, first there's a folk, uh, vocal sample from the opening cinematic of the PlayStation One Resident Evil, mm-hmm. um, which can be heard multiple times during the final confrontation. Huh. Interesting. I'm not sure which one it is, but did you, either of you guys play Resident Evil? I played Resident Evil Two. Okay, Resident yeah. Evil Two. Okay, Does, which one? That's the one with. Uh, like Leon and Claire. Leon and Claire. You yes. play A I, or B mode. I played as Leon. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. You never no. played this? Okay. <laughs> I kind of want sidebar. I kind of want them to redo those films because Lover is an evil. Yeah. But the films I'm not so enamored by. It doesn't even follow the Resident Evil. Yeah, not really. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, some people, I guess, could appreciate the action from them, but like, eh, I don't know. They should make it a TV series. Mm. I feel like you can get more out of a, like video games. You can make. I think it's better for a TV series rather than a film because you can put so much more into it and be able mm-hmm. to make a storyline. Well, particularly with Resident Evil, I think what works so well in that game is it's so scary because you're you're just exploring these places and it's mm-hmm. like going room to room. You know, the door opening and all that, like mm-hmm. that kind of feeling. I think if it's stretched out, it could be a little more um, nailed down. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Anyways, to get back <laughs> to Babadook, um, another <laughs> another video game thing, um, kind of fun to me is that uh, the scream heard repeatedly towards the end is that of Motaro from Mortal Kombat 3. Oh. <laughs> so I kind of want to go back and play these and just go, oh, that's freaking Motaro. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so that's awesome. Yeah. Okay. Um, anything else stand out to you guys with sound? Uh, I could talk about the composer too, but anything else before we move on? No, I think I'm good. Okay, so the composer in the film is uh, Jed Kurzel. Um, I think it's a pretty solid score. It's pretty eerie. And uh, just to talk a little bit about him, some other films that he scored are Alien Covenant, Overlord, Slow West, and The Mustang. 
Hmm. Um, I actually can't find the score online. I wanted to listen to it. I think I tried looking for it once. I couldn't find it either. Maybe it's because this is an Australian film that we can't find these things, but... I honestly can't remember any uh, cues. Hmm. Um, no, no themes really stand out to me. But, I mean, that could just be... they did. He did a really good job in blending in the hmm. score with the sound effects I think in I, each scene. I can recall something, but I don't want to say it. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> don't pressure her but it's like in those moments where it's, she's reading the book she's watching the tv and it's like those i don't know what instrument it is but it's like those chimes like da, na, 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 like mm-hmm. uh, and it's just like the hard pounding here and there oh, okay yeah a little more abstract maybe atmospheric um, but if you think about like alien covenant in particular to me that feels similar you know yeah it's like a background kind of thing that sets mood and kind of mm-hmm. ties to the landscape and and the sense of yeah, where you are but not so much melody based not so yeah. much right like to, right it's not they're, they're just not like themes that tie to characters per se but it's like yeah it's just a set of mood mm-hmm. certainly set some vibes okay so next up on our show is going to be editing and so the film editor is simon new um sorry if i'm getting that wrong um, but uh, he also worked on The Nightingale and How the Duck Stole Christmas with Jennifer Kent, so another one of the team members who works on all these films together. Um, so we've talked a lot about, I feel, uh, scenes that I think in which highlight all of these different departments, but we can you know, bring some of them back up again, specifically how they tie to the editing. Yeah, we already talked about it a little bit, but the smash cuts from scene to scene are some of my favorites. Yeah. Um, absolutely like when the when they're going through the book the first time and he wants to continue reading even though yeah. even though Amelia's like no we should we should put this away now mm-hmm. and then she she gives in she starts continuing on and it's getting scarier and scarier and he's like mom what's going to happen to him <laughs> and and the mm-hmm. way those images of the pages being turned cut mm-hmm. it's it's quick but it's paced really nicely to the intensity of the scene the music's building the high frequencies building um you're seeing these scary images and so it's it's paced pretty nicely yeah um, until smash he's screaming in his mother's arms while she tries to read him a different story yeah which is so funny to me <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it's also <laughs> done really well i think another thing that i also wanted to mention like back during the sound category and it ties in with the editing is when he's sleeping in the bed with the mom mm-hmm. and you get all these rant, like different kinds of shots of like him annoying her like arm around the shoulder grinding of the teeth yeah. <laughs> yeah. pulling on her hair mm-hmm. it just shows that annoyance that she has towards yeah. him and yeah. because we can feel that annoyance from the kid mm-hmm. yeah. so yeah they do a good job at conveying that like what it is to be her and being so annoyed by this child yeah it, it's quite interesting how they how they build upon that through these different areas through sound placement through pacing of cuts through mm-hmm. visual uh, compositions mm-hmm. it seems like there's yeah it's like the technical and and form connects to her mental state yeah mm-hmm. that's fascinating yeah, yeah certainly I, I think you mentioned it before Alyssa. the um i think when she finds a book again mm-hmm. about the you know I, you kind of mentioned it too marty the the constant cutting yeah. Back and forth between the book mm-hmm. and it gets the faster and faster. Yeah, yeah, causing some anxiety there. Yes. So, if anything, the editing just gives you more anxiety mm-hmm. throughout the film. Yep. 
yeah, it's hard to come up with more scenes of specifically where the cutting stood up, but I think that's the overall idea that worked for us with the editing. It's mm-hmm. how it how it's paced, how it's how it builds and then how it lingers yeah. in different moments, but it's always seemed to be yeah, tied to that. To vibe. To that yeah, to vibe. <laughs> it's tied to her I think, yeah, again, mental state. I think it's to represent where she's at. Yeah. Which is just I think unbalanced throughout. Mm-hmm. So, all right, then let's. Um, I think if we're we're all good, let's move yeah, on to the most um, important part. Yes. Yeah, the <laughs> <laughs> well, we're gonna move on then to mise en scène, which again, usually we talk about in this uh, area of the episode. We talk about production design, art direction, and we'll talk about the cast as well a bit. But we usually highlight uh, art direction in this scene, mm-hmm. uh, in this uh, section. So first, we'll talk about production designer Alex Holmes. He's um, working on The Invisible Man with Lee Whannell in set to release in 2020. He also worked on The Nightingale with Jennifer Kent. Um, so I found a scene online, uh, behind the scenes thing that you guys can look up on YouTube. It's there and he's just, th- I think there's a couple actually. And one of them is like, you know, when uh, Samuel stabs Amelia in the thigh um, towards the end when she's like possessed seemingly. Um, actually what he's stabbing is a... a piece of meat it's like a leg it's like a leg of a lamb i think mm-hmm. um and so you can kind of see if you want to if you're interested look up online you can see um how they package it um they play around with it and how to stab it and how to <laughs> you know how to go through all that to make it uh, lifelike seems like a fun day on set <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's a little i mean yeah it's it seems no, seems twisted but <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah fascinating there's a couple scenes like that if you guys want to look up you can find them online um but um is there anything in particular in particular to production design that stands out to you guys i think for me the kitchen is the one Mm. that stands out um the what we mentioned before the muted colors is something that is really established in the home the different rooms have these um kind of moods where it's there's just no life it's it feels like for me yeah um no vibrant it's not vibrant yeah Yeah. exactly there's no color Mm -hmm. nothing stands out in the rooms other than just gray yeah dark blues Mm -hmm. blacks yeah just a lot of there's no personality yeah Yeah. so right exactly um and i think for me the kitchen is seems particularly empty yeah um there's a shot of the two eating dinner together uh, sitting across from each other and it's like a wide shot um and like in between them in the background is the fireplace and i for some reason that scene is like vivid in my mind because i think it, it speaks volumes to their relationship their particular position at that time in the film and um yeah just that's the scene the the frame feels so empty it feels so muted and they're so in their own element that it's like i think that's pretty much all the context you need yeah um so we can mention then the art directors in the film alex holmes and karen hannaford um i think there was a lot of time spent into finding this home and uh, we've already talked about the colors and yeah it was a strategic thing certainly they talk about how they wanted this vibe yeah for this home has for a her. similar vibe too in her short film yeah absolutely mm-hmm. there's a lot of the design a lot of the um what's going on in the home and i mean it is a black and white film but you get the sense that it's it's similarly lifeless yeah 
so um, we should talk about the book because that's probably um, the most important thing in this film mm-hmm. um, in terms of design the book was designed by illustrator Alexander Juhas Juhas I'm sorry there's a lot of names I'm mispronouncing here I know it <laughs> um, Jennifer Kent hunted him down because she saw the title sequence he did for a Showtime series called United States of Terra with Tony Collette. Have either of you guys heard of this? I've heard of it. Okay, the cool. The title sounds familiar. Yes. I had never heard of it. There's been nominations for right. the show. And I feel like Tony Collette's actually been nominated for that. Oh. For Golden Globes. I feel like it was a Golden Globe thing. I remember that's huh. the fir- first time I heard of it. I'm like, United States of Terra. I'm like, what? Yeah. Like, <laughs> it sounds like a reality TV show to me. It does, huh? Yeah. I just think like Real Housewives for some reason yeah. when you mentioned that. That's so funny. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I never would have, I never knew about this. And now knowing what we know about Tony Collette after, you know, The Sixth Sense and Hereditary more recently. And she's also in Knives Out with Ryan Johnson, which looks fantastic. Oh, yeah, that's, a, that's what I'm excited for. Yeah. Um, I kind of want to go back and watch it because I we went back and looked at the title sequence and mm. knowing what the series is now, it's kind of fascinating. So you get to see Tony Collette just mess around with different characters and mm-hmm. how they interact with each other. And I mean, it's just, it sounds fascinating. So I'm not surprised that it had award nominations. And yeah, she's amazing. Yeah, yeah. she's she can do no wrong. <laughs> um, so what was in the title sequence that um, Jennifer Kent liked? Yeah, so it's similar to the kinds of pop-up art that we see in the Babadook um, mm-hmm. book. It's it's right. different. Um, it's all in animation, the title sequence. But um, so you're seeing like different buildings pop up and different characters pop up as you're seeing opening credits. Um, the different characters she plays, the different settings, and all. So she wanted something similar for this film. Uh, Juhaz says that he didn't engineer them himself, but he designed them. So he kind of warned her, like, listen, I didn't actually do the mechanics of this. If you want a book, I'm not I'm not the guy to do that, but I can design the drawings and, and all that. And she's like, no, 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 just do it. So he does it. I mean, I, I, I'm kind of, I'm not really totally sure how those conversations just happen. Just do but what? Just do the design? No, to do the, still, to, still to do the project, yeah. Oh, wow. So, and he, he does it. And I mean, he kills it because... I think the design of the pop-up art in particular is really great. Um, like the hand that pulls out behind the, the, the door or the wardrobe or something. Yeah. Um, what else from the book? I think when she... I know it sounds sad, but like when she's choking the dog. Oh, my god! And then it just snaps back. You're like, oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. Dude, oh. R.I.P. I know. It's like, no, not the dog. <laughs> Anything with the dog, you already know. It's like, don't do it. Yeah, I was hoping she wouldn't. R.I.P. I mean, well, I should take a spoiler, but I mean, if you're listening to this, I hope you've... (laughs) Well, I don't know. I mean, it's up to you if you want to... We usually, sometimes we do spoiler warnings, but I I mean, maybe it doesn't matter. This will help you. If you you haven't seen the film, this will help you get interested by it. But anyways, yeah, R.I.P. to the dog. (laughs) Um, But yeah, the, the, the design, I think, is great. I think he killed it with this book. And I mean, so much so that, yeah, the the book has been... Um, fans have called for it to be made for purchase and it happened so yeah I'll buy it yeah yeah I don't know if I want it but read as a bedtime story to Marty every no. yeah no <laughs> definitely not just do it while you sleep so you subconsciously I would be so mad at you in. I would be so mad at you I would know <laughs> wake up I had the weirdest dream <laughs> <laughs> well um so 
fun fact too jennifer kent owns the only original copy from production yeah um there were three made only one survived and she has it so pretty cool I hope she has it in a safe somewhere. Yeah, in a safe, blessed, like all that. <laughs> blessed. <laughs> she called Ed, Ed and Lorraine more. Yeah, I, <laughs> I wish. I mean. um, okay, so the book is made by hand. Um, the pop-ups are all working. They're real pop-ups. Um, and it was through designing the book that the look of the live-action character was created. Oh. Which is pretty fascinating. But, I mean, I, again, I think there was inspiration from German Expressionism and right. different films where, the, the, like, the top hat and the cloak and all that. I think that those... He's still classy. Yeah, he is classy. He's a classy guy. Um, <laughs> it was also inspired by um, shadow puppet filmmaker Loti Reiniger. I'm probably butchering that name as well. I don't know his work, but I read that that was the case. So if you're interested, go look into him. Um, and uh, the book was released in 2015, I should have mentioned, for fans to purchase. So it came out not too long after the film. Um, and so the stop an uh, motion animation of the Babadook, um, Jennifer Kent says that she wanted him to appear as if it were a creature playing at being human. Hmm. I can see that. Mm -hmm. Listening to that freaked me out. Yeah. yeah. I got to say. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because that concept um, of something trying to trick people into playing something to pretend it's human. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't know what it, why that gets so under my skin. <laughs> Is it like that for you guys? Knowing yeah. that? Yeah, I think a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that because it makes all these <coughs> animalistic sounds mm -hmm. and all this stuff. Sure. Um, and especially when she's in the basement and she sees the husband, Oscar. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God. And mm. then it's like, bring me the boy stuff. Mm -hmm. And the voice gets weirder and weirder. And yeah. She's like, yeah. <sighs> yeah, that's freaking. Yeah. Um, I don't know what it is, but it's, yeah, I like concentrate <coughs> on that concept and it just freaks me out. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, like you think about it, like there's no gloves that you um there's no hands there's just gloves that you see right um there's a mask his hair looks like a wig he, there's a top hat mm -hmm. it's a big cloak it's it's um pure disguise have you heard that um it's like a lost film i think from the 20s london after midnight yep well, yeah. that's mm -hmm. what it kind of reminds me of like mm -hmm. even just like even the teeth the hat mm. the cloak it's actually yeah that's totally Mm -hmm. um, the same thing, kind of. Yeah, I can see the similarities. Yeah, mm -hmm. but for me, like the gloves kind of remind me of like Edward Scissorhands in a way. Oh they're yeah, so long. Is, yeah. Oh, I totally wrote this down. Yeah, <coughs> Lon Chaney and London After Midnight. I totally have this in my notes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so absolutely, guys, if you haven't heard of London After Midnight, it is. There's only like it was some kind of fire, right? And so mm -hmm. only certain images are still available. But yeah, they have like a YouTube video of stills. I stills. Think. Yeah. Oh, cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It, if you guys look it up, it's mm -hmm. you'll see what we're talking. It's pretty much the same thing. Mm -hmm. um, you should put the link. Oh, and the we could maybe we'll maybe we will put some links in there if you guys want to if are so interested to do some research. Yeah. Into some of the inspiration that we're talking about, I think it would be beneficial. So we'll do that for you guys. Um, there's a key quote that I pulled from Jennifer Kent regarding the um, design here. So let me read it for you guys. Um, she said. Her film was never about, oh, I want to scare people. Hmm. Not at all. I wanted to talk about the need to face the darkness in ourselves and in our lives. Um, 
that was the core idea for me to take a woman who'd really run away from a terrible situation for many years and has to face it the horror is really just a byproduct yeah i said that quote you said this quote <coughs> part of it okay well then maybe excuse I me maybe we should just nix this then no leave it it's fine okay well what i wanted to concentrate on was the the element of not necessarily making this to be scary but make this to be more introspective yeah right um the idea of something that's relatable to, even to everyone i mean not just to women i think a lot of this is mostly relatable to women and to mothers i think this is an interesting watch for for mothers in particular right um yeah but it's I, relatable I, to people because everybody can relate to grief in yeah, a sense certainly mm-hmm. yeah and it's and i mean th- those things are scary to have to deal with it to, to it's something it's something incredibly difficult often um but it's certainly something relatable mm-hmm. and so some of my favorite i think like quote-unquote horror you know movies are ones that didn't really intend to be like a scary movie yeah outright we kind of dive into something more psychological they're more they're more yeah they're they're more um humanizing first mm-hmm. yeah um and then what becomes relatable and how it's explored cinematically gets to be horrific especially in this case but yeah it's it's uh, this film is pretty humanizing yeah i think that's what makes it work so well yeah i think there's nothing scarier than what our minds are capable of right yes like human nature it's mm-hmm. terrifying yeah like you can have a monster yeah that's scary but like what we can imagine and how we process things and what we can become like she yeah. went on a downward spiral like possession she let her fears and those emotions take over her and, and turn her into something yeah completely different yeah mm-hmm. so because it is possible mm-hmm. yeah so that's, a, that's the scary part about it yeah so right on jennifer kent you nailed that <laughs> you go girl <laughs> um okay so let's um also talk about cast essie davis plays um amelia she's an australian actress we talked about the school she went to with tony collette jennifer um jennifer kent and there was someone else but um yeah really wide range in her performance and um, yeah, I, I mentioned this before, but to touch back on it again here, that it that the role hits home for her a little too close to home. She said that as a mother, she could recognize herself in it. Mm. And that's, yeah, that's, oh man, I don't know. That's got to be tough. Yeah. That's got to be frightening to, you know, recognize something that you, you kind of feel yourself touch on, but you never act on it, obviously. Yeah. Or I guess not obvious, but I mean, like, she clearly never does. But... <laughs> Um, to think like what if you know mm-hmm. and how far that could go the thought passes her mind yeah. once in a while that's super frightening man <laughs> yeah. but it gets to what we're talking about the humanizing element yeah. of this whole story um, Noah Wiseman plays Samuel he was just six years old at the time of shooting um, and there was they had a stand in for the more violent scenes or explicit scenes like when he has to um, I, I think when he has to stab the mom, I'm not sure it's actually him. Mm. But maybe there... Actually, if I think about it, though, there is part of Sharice's face. But mm. certainly, I think when she, like, physically harms him, I think it's, like, a stand-in who's on their knees or something like that. Okay. Um, they auditioned um, eight- and nine-year-olds for the part. Um, there were, like, 400 boys that they auditioned. And then four or five auditioned with A.C. Davis. Noah uh, was not amongst them. Um, and so Jennifer Kent talks about how she 
felt that there was this like quality of knowing with some of the older kids and so that's why the eight and nine year olds weren't really working out um so they came across uh noah wiseman and he was literally just starting drama classes that weekend what? that they were looking for boys and his mother is a child psychologist who was around all the time during set um gonna need it which i think absolutely appropriate (laughs) (laughs) actually really great that 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 was there because like yeah you have to i think be very careful about how you involve him in this film in this story and in the, the horrific things that are happening because again it's not just scary monster it's you know child and mother relationship and Mm -hmm. abuse kind of and um all the grief involved and the death and the loss involved and um heavy stuff for a six-year-old to contemplate and play pretend in Mm -hmm. right um i think it plays better with a younger kid too yeah absolutely because he yeah he kind of only knows so much to an extent right i think jennifer kent's right there is this if, if a kid knows what's going on to a certain extent they don't really have the same behavior the same mm-hmm. reactions the same like there's it's just different it's something that's innate mm-hmm. for a younger kid i think mm-hmm. um but so between S- something i learned is that between se davis jennifer kent and his mother there was a lot into that to help him understand that it's a positive story that it's going right through the center of hell to get to the light mm-hmm. and it's him that's pulling his mother to the light mm-hmm. so I, it's, in, it's just fascinating to me how they approach yeah. talking to him about it yeah right yeah he saves her right yeah so, i think yeah. it always got me like in the movie when he's like when he uh has her tied down he's like i know you don't love me but i'm always gonna love oh, you dude don't say that right now oh my gosh yeah <laughs> yeah and that's what helps her overcome that demon that possession and yeah. gets it out of her mm-hmm. yeah just that affection that um unconditional love right yeah um and i think that's also the lesson that comes from it too mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. just yeah yeah man. That, that always gets me yeah <sighs> that's real yeah because yeah that is what eventually turns things around yeah and to apply that to the overarching um, thematic structure, yeah, that yeah. it's and he a tells beautiful her multiple times, like I'm always going to protect you or yeah. something like that. It's a beautiful way to wrap things up. It yeah. really is. Mm-hmm. Mm. It's deep. Dude. Very deep. <laughs> Good job, Alyssa. <laughs> um, well, thank you. <laughs> quickly, let's also talk about location. Um, so Jennifer Kent is from and lives in Sydney. But she wanted to shoot in Adelaide, Australia, which is where they shoot. She says it's a very strange feel. The architecture there is gothic. And there's a big studio there. Mm. Um, so it's perfect for the film. And um, the, at, at the home, I mean, we talk about the home a little bit. We talk about the restricted color palette. We talk about the gray and the blue and the dark trims and the muted colors. And yeah. it also, they mentioned that it has this storybook aesthetic to it. Um, everything inside has this theatrically subtle feel. Mm. Uh, feel. Um, apparently, colors of fairy tales and story illustrations were inspiration. Um, a look that felt black and white, but wasn't. Hmm. Um, so furniture was stained or painted to fit the colors better, Nothing, but nothing was the right color. So it was this constant struggle, I think. The, the floorboards, the way they looked was interesting because they were like, 
think brand new but they had to be painted that way that they look in the film which is like very used and um just to the extent that it seems to be mm-hmm. in the film um lived in and in particular something that's interesting with sam's room is that he they wanted to establish that he has this fascination with bugs i don't know if you guys remember oh, the yeah. images of the little bugs that he has all around the place which yeah. is so gross like, if I had I'm a kid who was with interested that, with dude. bugs, I'd be like, you need to grow out of this. <laughs> this is not acceptable. <laughs> I'm not going to have all these bugs in here. No. Um, that means he can kill the spiders around the house. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Good point. Yeah. There's, He's there's, evil. There's a <laughs> I, you know, yeah, like, Melissa will sometimes tell me, Marty, kill the spider. And it's like, I don't like spiders either. Like, I don't, don't want to go near that thing. Like, that's why I get the vacuum cleaner. Yeah, that's smart. <laughs> yeah. Going with the weapon, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> um, apparently, though, the, the bugs are supposed to foreshadow the hallucinations that Amelia has later on, which, of course, with the cockroach, I think, in oh, yeah. particular. Um, yeah. So That was crazy. The presence of the bugs, because even the sound, right, there's these sounds and movements of the Babadook that feels like insect as insect well. Like, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all that stuff. Mm. That's another thing that probably freaks us out, because we, we really hate bugs. I don't like it. Sam. <sighs> Yeah, I can't okay. see them. Yeah, no. There's been spiders galore in my household. No. <laughs> That's nasty. There, I was leaving her house the other night, and there was this huge spider by my car, and I'm like, so I'm not leaving. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. Like, Worst thing ever happened to me. I was driving, and it was coming down. Oh, I've had that happen. Oh, it's fucking You think crazy, you're going to crash dude. the car. Yeah. You're like, this yeah. is it. Yeah. So this is how you my have life to, like, is. Keep, <laughs> you have to keep your cool somehow. One yeah, time it happened yeah. in the shower, too. I was like, what? Like, yeah. oh my, like my most vulnerable state. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. No, that's a nightmare. <laughs> oh, well, um, that pretty much, I guess, then wraps up. Unless there's anything else you guys want to talk about with our direction, anything that's that to you guys. No, we I talk mean, about the book. We talk yeah. about the, the home, which is pretty much the two main yeah yeah no, areas of our design. We touched on yeah. It's just a good film you have to listen to and like watch with surround sound and yeah. mm-hmm. TV. At Alyssa's house. Yeah, yeah. come over. <laughs> you may have to. Here's my address. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. So, um, I, yeah, I don't know if you guys want to sum up your thoughts on, on the film itself. Alyssa, like, if what, you would like to, go for it. How did you feel about it? Did you enjoy it? I mean, it still creeps me out just the way they should, like, obvious angles like the doorway when you're looking from your bed and stuff and Mm. it's just the sound design and it's just i think what gets me the most is the storyline it goes so much deeper than what most people think it is Mm -hmm. um yeah yeah so second that absolutely i think it's a people often look at horror films with a certain like grain of salt or something like it's um, basically to say that it like doesn't reach a certain level of storytelling and my I, I always push back with that because it's like do you really watch them because if you would watch them and especially films like this um there's so much more to be to be said with it it, it hits on such deeper thematics and and um feels so familiar i think to everyone so i would say if you're not someone who watches horror films so much this is one that you should because um it, i think it, it does have such volumes to it that it's, it's such a strong piece of storytelling yeah I think it could go both ways. I think some people maybe um, wish horror movies had more, you know, thematic presence and presence in it. But also, some people assume that all scary movies need to be 
like jump scares Mm -hmm. and so they're disappointed when they get a film like this Mm -hmm. i think that's That's kind of can be confusing i think to some people who aren't looking at it past yeah i mean it's i guess it's it's an argument of taste a little bit but um yeah i just i want to say there's i think a strength to the storytelling in this that really surprised us Mm -hmm. um and i think it got such wide acclaim for a reason so if you haven't seen this one and you're interested now in this ep- after listening to this episode, certainly go and watch it. And if I you've think seen it's it, deserving of multiple viewings, certainly too, revisit to it. Yeah, kind of catch all those different things that it's playing off. And also go check out. I'll leave a link in our um, show notes, but check out her short film Monster. Right. Um, it's it's pretty creepy too. Mm-hmm. I think the imagery of the monster and of the whole home and how they shoot the mother in that it's it's very similar. Very but uh, but also creepy in its own way, mm-hmm. and so yeah, give that a watch as well. Right. So um, I guess we can wrap it up. Yeah, yeah that'll conclude our episode on Jennifer Kent's The Babadook, and look out next month for our last and final episode of our Women of Horror series, where we'll be discussing Anna Biller's The Love Witch. Please be sure to subscribe to the Cine Survey podcast on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher and keep up with any updates on our social media sites. Um, that's at the underscore CineSurvey on Instagram and at CineSurvey on Twitter. Yeah, and, and right now on Instagram, we're doing for this month like a, a fun little um, daily uh, series where we're going on our Insta story to just highlight a different horror film that we love and just highlight a different element to it. So we're, you know, we've been looking at like the costumes from The Witch or um, the depth in composition of rosemary's baby so we're going to be doing different things each day so if you want to just you know spend a little time with a horror film particular horror film just check out our story and uh, we'll have something new for you each day this month yeah and uh marty if they want to know anything about you and what you're doing yeah what's your handle you can find me on twitter instagram and letterboxd at marty ibarasi it's marty with marty with a y ibarra with an i and thank you, Alyssa, for joining us. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it was real fun. I'm glad we got an opportunity to do this. Yeah, we're going to have to bring you back on soon. Yeah. We're going to be talking about a lot of horror stuff. We know you're the one to bring on oh, for horror. Oh, for so. sure. That'd be yeah. great. We thank enjoyed you. your insight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And until next time, cheers. Cheers. Cheers.